Welcome to the Better You Project, where we will be discussing health, hormones, and aesthetics while using a blend of functional and anti-aging medicine. To make sure you're up to date on this and what's going on in the practice, be sure to follow us on Instagram at udirecthealth underscore aesthetics, as well as our website, www.udirecthealth.com. The following discussion is the opinion of nurse practitioner Lexi Yu. It is not intended to diagnose or treat any conditions. Please speak to your healthcare provider for your personal concerns about your health. Now let's jump right into the show. What's up, everybody? This is Lexi from the Better You Project, optimizing health, hormones, and aesthetics. And today I have a special guest. I have Dr. Suzanne Turner. She is uh, one of, I would say, like the most amazing people I've ever met in regards to hormones and education and always a learner, but always a student as well. And so, Dr. Turner, do you want to introduce yourself as to, you know, all that you do? Sure. I am a a physician in Atlanta. I have a practice with four amazing mid-level providers who are so smart and keep me on my toes every single day sending me articles. And what do you think of this, Dr. Turner? It's really a great team. My patients keep me on my toes. We have patients who are, are, we do a lot of autoimmune disease, a lot of um, uh, patients who have things like uh, like IBS, things like um, Lyme disease. So it's a, quite a cadre of patients. But then we have a good number of patients who see us for cellular and longevity health. So they're seeing us to try to maintain their health as long as they can and be the best self they can. So for weight loss also, of course. But then I have some athletes and some, some students who are just trying to uh, peak their performance, to optimize their performance. So we partner with a lot of friends around here that are that are dietitians or that are uh, trainers to work with everyone to get them to their optimal self. Absolutely. So uh, you and I met, uh, well, we've actually seen each other twice now this year at two different conferences. And the most recent conference, I actually was hanging out with your husband, Chip. We're getting some water and tasting the wine. And I was just telling your husband that, you know, your wife is amazing. If she ever needed a hype person, like I would be that person. And he's like, well, why don't you go talk to her? And I was like, I can't talk to her. She's, she's Susan <laughs> Turner. And he's like, just go talk to her. So, uh, so <laughs> since that time, she has been a tremendous resource. Uh, we do, we do a lot of the same stuff. And so it's been awesome just collaborating different ideas or like, Hey, this is what I'm seeing, or this is what I'm trying. What are you trying? Or did you see this? Or are you going to this conference? So it's been, it's been awesome just collaborating with all the providers that we get to collaborate with, including pharmacists like Linda and things like that. So, Mm. um, I want, I want the folks to kind of, if you've never heard Dr. Turner speak, she's amazing, but I kind of want people to know how you got into peptide therapy. Sure. So I had a hip injury years ago. Uh, I think this is now 10 years ago. I was running. I was a com- competitive runner for a while, just um, doing some races and such locally. And I injured my hip. I got what they call Trendelenburg, which is where your glute muscle just sort of stops responding. So you begin using your hamstring instead. And it was because I was wearing high heels all day long and then running on the, you know, at nights and weekends. And most of my activity at the time was cardio. So I was doing a lot of that sort of activity. And because of this hip injury, I really had to completely stop running, which was very difficult on my psyche. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my husband at the time, he's been a lifter all his life. And so he said, you should start getting into weight training. So I met a trainer at the gym, started working out with her, did a lot of weight training with her. So I was probably uh, late 30s, early 40s at the time. It was early, early 40s at the time. 
And so I continued doing that more weight training, but it was still um, high intensity intervals. So we were doing uh, 45 seconds of an exercise and a 15 second rest. Um, and then uh, that was an hour of a workout and I would do that three or four days a week. And of course the uh, guy with the blower is coming right behind me. So. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but that we would do that three or four days a week. And then um, I started, um, because I was still having some hip issues, I went to a conference where I heard about uh, mechano growth factor. And it was so eye-opening, something completely different. You know, all these patients, I don't know if you can hear me still. No, I can hear you. No, you're good. Oh, great. All these patients that I have so many injuries on, and someone said to me that I thought, okay, there's nothing else you can do. You can give them steroid shots. There's nothing else we can do. These, all these other patients that, you know, I'd kind of reached the max of where I felt like I had things I could do that would be helpful. And all of a sudden, there was this whole new category of things I could do and help people kind of move past and push past where they were, which was so exciting. So there was a conference that was, that was uh, introduction to peptides, a, a very basic, super, super simple conference that was going on in California. And I attended that conference and then came back to Atlanta, just pumped up and sharing with my uh, other providers in my office about what we were doing and how excited I was. So we did that, um, and we added a whole bunch of those peptides right off the bat. That was really fun. What, what was that? What was that first peptide that you used then for your hip? Mechana Growth Factor. Oh, that's that's the name of the peptide. Yes, MGF. Oh, oh MGF. Okay, yes. Okay, yeah. I didn't even know that was the actual full name of it. Okay, yes, MGF. Yeah, it's a piece of IL one. Uh, it's a slightly modified um, uh, IGF one, and it is involved in repair. Your body yes. naturally makes it. Is the first responder to repair, mm -hmm. and when there's an injury, and so if you can give yourself an extra heavy dose of that, it sort of gets the repair mode restarted. And this was a chronic injury. Mm -hmm. So I did use that. I had a great result. I followed it with some IGF-1 LR3 and had a great result with that. Um, of course, my mechanics were part of the problem and retraining my hip. You know, that's just, a, it's not a, uh, it's not a Band-Aid, but it is, it's not a, a solution to the problem. Because right, if right. I had gone right back out and, and run, I would have injured the hip all over again and would have been back in the same position. So there was a lot of, um, training that went along with that repair, uh, re retraining how I move and what, you know, realizing yeah. that I have to engage glutes and have to engage lats. Um, and so that was really helpful. And then um, we went to this conference and then I started doing, I went and did the uh, peptide certification courses um, through one of the big uh, companies in, that does those peptide certification courses. And as I was going through that, I really was fascinated by what I was learning, I was really applying it every day to, this was a Monday morning, peptides are a Monday morning fixed people kind of thing. You come back and you go, oh my gosh, I have the best thing for you. You have to try this. Oh yeah. You make a list <laughs> of people that you're like, I want to fix him on Monday and him on Tuesday. And yep. my nurse calls them all and says, Dr. Turner's got something for you. And patients are used to that by now because I'll come back from conferences and they'll hear a message from me like, yeah. hey, Dr. Turner has something. Yeah. I So I do that same thing through Instagram. And then people are like yeah. DMing like, hey, I need to get in there. Lexi was just at a conference. So we do the exact same thing. Exact same thing for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's, we're just old school and we use phones and emails, <laughs> but, uh, that was great. And then, um, because I started talking about it among people, there really weren't very many people doing it at the time. So I started talking to a few people about teaching and then started teaching in the peptide, uh, the peptide certification program, which was really a, a blessing because I love to teach. It's one yeah. of my favorite things. So, uh, I started teaching in a peptide certification. 
cool oh, things. That's it was, good. It's really fun. I really love it. So tying in, you know, I kind of feel like when we talk about peptides, you have to talk about hormones because I feel like a lot yeah. of the peptides are so interconnected into hormones. So, you know, as, as we all age, unfortunately, our hormones start to deplete. A lot of them do, at least the good ones. Um, and so I, I'd like, I know you do a fair amount with that, but I'd like for you to kind of just talk a little bit about your experience because you've been doing BHRT for a long time, a long time. And right. so maybe right. just kind of, if you could cover for some of the listeners, some of the break down the hormones between estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and kind of what their uses are as we look at certain things like body composition and uh, energy and this, you know, the symptoms that we see w- women come in with. Right. So a good number of my patients now are in that 40 to 60 block. Uh, men and women in that 40 to 60 block. And we see them really struggle with that change. We'll see all of our hormones and, and most of our peptides will be depleted around the age of 35. This is why a lot of our athletes, you know, you see those, uh, those public figure athletes, they can't really compete much past 35. We have the rare exceptions, but the majority of athletes don't do much competing after 35. And so all of our peptides, all of our hormones, all of our repair capabilities, so our cellular repair capabilities begin to decline about age 35. You can certainly keep it up to some degree, but you're not going to be where you were when you were 25. And so um, so a lot of people, we'll go ahead and replace those. The, if we're talking about what do they do, the what are the, a lot of the complaints I get from people is um, increasing uh, weight around the middle, increasing fatigue. Um, I hear people talk about low libido, and I, I would like to tease that out with people, both with men and women, but particularly with women, because I think um, libido is so multifaceted in women. And so I think about estrogen being the I feel sexy hormone and testosterone being the I feel horny hormone. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of a little bit different, but you need both of them to get to achieve that that libido or what we consider interest in sex. Um, Even sometimes with both of those in place, you have to remember there's so much else goes into libido. Um, I always talk about, um, is your husband taking the trash out? Because if you're mad at him that he's not taking the trash out, how can you ever get to the point where you're where you're able to do that. And there's a really great book if you're interested in reading about it called Come As You Are. Oh, I have it. I love it. I heard about it at the last conference that we attended. It was really mm-hmm. great. And I read the whole book. It was so valuable. And it's really been useful for it's teaching good. patients. For sure. For um, sure. So, so thinking about estrogen and testosterone. So testosterone, I think about as both of them, I think about as your body composition hormones. So as you age, you're going to begin to decrease your production of estrogen number two or estradiol, if you're familiar with Latin, and then you're going to increase your production of estrogen number one or estrone. Um, and the estrone has a tendency to be, wreak a little more havoc in the body. It's not 100%, but it does tend to wreak a little more havoc. So it tends to be the one that causes a little more weight gain around the waistline. It tends to be, and this is in men and women, um, and it tends to be associated with diet. So if you're taking in um, uh, uh, a lot of simple carbohydrates, but I think more relevant to that is taking in a lot of bad fats. So um, a lot of fried food, um, if, if you're taking in other than, and I, so let's talk about healthy fats just briefly. I think healthy fats are things like nuts and seeds, olives, avocado, um, straight up butter. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because of the butyrate in butter. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you're using all of those things, um, you should be doing well. But if you're, if you're eating, involved in any of the fats otherwise, like my favorite food, which is bacon, then you're going to really have a hard, it's going to be a hard time on your system. So that sends those um, bad fats begin to send signals to your body about how it handles insulin. And insulin is the carrier for sugar in your system. And so as those fats begin to signal your cells to do different things, they're not going to be able to manage your sugar as well. And so it's less about how much sugar you're taking in and more about how the cells are talking to each other about doing their job. And so those um, bad fats have a tendency to give the wrong signal about how cells should behave. So that's where we run into some trouble. Um, so the estrone tends to be related to that. And we're removing the estradiol, which is that good, healthy memory brain function. Mm -hmm. We know that, um, that the, there's an inflammatory process that goes on in all of our cells in response to infection or trauma or injury. And that inflammatory process involves the creation of, uh, it, I like to call it a bomb inside your cells. That bomb requires two signals. One is the infection or the inflammation or the trauma. The second signal is lots of different things, but one of them can be estrogen deficiency, specifically estradiol deficiency. So you get the bomb in place and then you add estrogen deficiency to that. And oh my gosh, we have a real problem because now it's where we develop things like autoimmune disease, like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, all of that comes from this creation. And so one of the reasons why we'll see a lot of particularly women go through menopause and begin to have more trouble about age 35 with autoimmune diseases is because estrogen deficiency is one of the, one of the triggers for that internal cellular bomb that we, that we create um, in response to um, infection or, or cellular stress. So, um, keeping your levels up to um, optimal is really one of the things we can do to stave off the onset of a lot of disease. Uh, and so, uh, so there's a whole lot of things we have to do to monitor those. You know, you wanna make sure that you're staying in balance with your estrogen and progesterone. Um, I, I like to talk about um, too much estrogen causes things like uh, heavy menstrual cycles, breast enlargement or pain, uh, irritability. Dense breast tissue, yes. lots of that. Irritability, mm -hmm. um, especially with brain. Hand swelling, you'll see that sometimes. There's a whole lot of symptoms that go along with too much estrogen. Too little estrogen is where you see people begin to have things like depression. Um, they'll, they'll have um, smaller breasts. They'll, of, of course, this inflammatory autoimmune processes begin to occur. Joint and pain. so, sorry? The joints, their joints start to oh, hurt. Yes, they, they lack exactly. lubrication, like eyes are dry, vaginas dry, their skin, like from an aesthetic person, I'm like, oh my God, I look at a face, I'm like, you need some estriol like on your face. Um, yes. Because they, they lose that plump, that rich moisture in their skin. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Lexi's introduced me to put my toe in the pool of aesthetics. So I've just begun doing a little bit at her encouragement, which is yes, been fun. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yes, getting a little bit of your skin improved with some uh, estrogen can really be helpful too. Um, so the, the thing that's interesting about estrogen and progesterone is you can have um, plenty of estrogen, but if you have too much progesterone, you still are estrogen deficient. Mm -hmm. And you can have a lot of the symptoms of estrogen deficiency. Same in the opposite direction. If you have 
plenty of estrogen, but you have too little progesterone, you're still going to feel estrogen dominant and you'll have a lot of that. Do you feel like you see that more often where, you know, like estrogen can look fairly okay, but then their progesterone's in the toilet. So I'm like, okay, it's not that you're over making your, your estrogen. It's just more you're under making your progesterone. And do, do you feel like you see that more often than the high progesterone, low estrogen ratio? So I think it depends on the patient. I think if you're seeing a, a fairly healthy population, you're going to see um, you're going to see that higher estrogen, lower progesterone, estrogen dominant symptoms. If you're seeing a less healthy population, um, you're going to see that same situation, but instead of the levels being down here, they're going to be up here. It's, it's the same thing with too much estrogen. Uh, not enough progesterone, but it's really not a too much estrogen problem. It's really not enough progesterone problem. Gotcha. So, okay. And you can treat that in, t- in a couple of different ways. You can treat it either by raising their progesterone or by lowering their estrogen. And it kind of depends on where they are in that health spectrum and what their personal body is. So one of the questions we ask them is, how did you feel when you were in your second trimester of pregnancy? How did you feel when you were right before your menstrual cycle? How did you feel when you're on your menstrual cycle? Because right before your menstrual cycle is typically where we'll see that progesterone begin to diminish. Mm -hmm. And so that's a pretty good feeling. If people feel terrible, then we know, yeah, this is probably a progesterone drop Mm -hmm. and we can give you a little bit more to balance things out. If you felt amazing, like I did, what, as soon as I started my period, I felt amazing. And so that's to me, estrogen and progesterone very low and testosterone a little bit higher. So you know a woman like me that has that history is gonna feel a little bit better with a higher uh, testosterone and a lower estrogen and progesterone, even in menopause, she's gonna feel better with a higher level. That's interesting. So there's, this is where- Explain like that. That's, that's really three really good, good questions that I've never thought to ask. So I thank you, that's awesome. Yeah. And if they felt amazing in the middle of their pregnancy, their second trimester, because you know, everybody feels terrible in their first trimester, Mm -hmm. but second trimester, if you feel amazing, then you're probably a woman who really would like to have a lot of estrogen in your perimenopause, menopause life. You're probably going to feel that estrogen deficiency. Now I say that even the women who have very low estrogen generally are still going to feel that drop in estrogen and sometimes they're going to feel it a little bit more because they're in a very narrow, their Goldilocks window is very narrow. So they'll feel uncomfortable when their estrogen is too high, but they'll also feel pretty uncomfortable when their estrogen is too low. And so you'll have a wider range in some patients, especially that second trimester, I felt amazing person. You'll, they'll have a typically wider range of tolerance, uh, how they tolerate their estrogen. So they can, they don't have to be quite so regimented on their dosing. Um, so I started out completely using topical estrogens. That was my why first education was in topical estrogens or topical hormones altogether. And then I've branched out as I've gone along and use all varieties of hormones. I really try not to use oral estrogen or testosterone unless I absolutely can find a reason to do it. Um, I've used troche sometimes. Don't use testosterone in a troche. <laughs> Yeah, it's messy. For your aesthetic concern, people, because mm-hmm. uh, it will cause a, um, a mustache to grow. Mm-hmm. 
yep, hair coming out of their nose, they won't be very happy with you, um, or acne on their face. Mm -hmm. um, but we use, I, I think I really like either the injectable or the pellet testosterone, mm -hmm. and it really depends on the patient's lifestyle, mm -hmm. what their circumstances are. Some people like the control of being able to adjust their dose, mm -hmm. and some people like the, I don't even want to think about my hormones, just give me a pellet. And so it really is debatable. I tend to dose pretty low on testosterone pellets mm -hmm. relative to what I hear other people doing, mm -hmm. but, but I have very positive results for my patients. Um, so I, I don't have, I, I really like pellets. Um, they seem to be a good, and there's some great studies that have just come out mm -hmm. showing that pellets show that really low um, breast cancer reduction, which is really great. So I have a few patients that what I've got a, a patient with BRCA uh, mutation that we're just trying because she feels terrible in, in menopause. Mm -hmm. So we're just trying her on some uh, pellet testosterone to see how she responds. Yeah. The study yeah. was done with um, subcutaneous testosterone. And so that's what I'm using um, testosterone in women, primarily subcutaneous also. Yeah, that's good. And that's, if you're listening and you're interested in that research, there uh, was a study that came out, it was like a couple, two months ago, three months ago, right. and that was with um, Mandy Cotton and Dr. Donovitz. And then there's even more research with um, Dr. Rebecca Glazier out of, Glazier. I think she's, oh, Gla yeah, Glazier at, out of Ohio, I believe is where she's from. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, lots and lots of research. And, and in fact, uh, here locally, like in Indiana, uh, which, you know, I've kind of said it, it's, I always feel like we're like the last people to catch on to anything, but there's actually, I did find a uh, breast oncologist here locally who is open to having me treat her breast cancer patients with pellet therapy. So that's, I mean, that's yes. amazing, right? So that's good. That's good. I think the interesting thing about that one, is, I think it was the Glazer study that showed it didn't matter if you use anastrozole or not. Yeah. Yep. Because there's been so much hype about you have, if they had breast cancer, you have to have use to an use Yep. I love that she came out with that study saying you don't have to use an astrozole because I don't want to use something I don't have to use, no. especially a small molecule. I'm not sure what it's yeah. doing. It's got so yeah. many negative potential side, side effects. effects. In men. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Fascinating. So as far as the testosterone, we're talking about the, so I, you did a great job covering estrogen, progesterone for to. The testosterone, you know, I, when I explain it to women, I would say, unfortunately, this is like the first hormone I usually see go away, unfortunately. And so mm -hmm. when we talk about body composition, I feel like this is like the big one that, that I typically see help a lot of women. Unfortunately, it's not, especially in pellet format in the humid months, it's not the most friendly when it comes to the scale. I mean, would you agree, Dr. Turner? about yes. that cuz and the way yes. I explain it to women is is that you know testosterone causes those those nice muscles tissues to kind of start growing and then they swell especially when it's humid so then they're going to hold on to water so you might see a little bump in the scale for like maybe the first 4 to 6 months and then usually like kind of the tail end of that first year on pellets I really start to see body composition kind of take place and, and we have an in body and I, I've told you that we have an in body here on site and so we try to make our patients get them all that they're free for all of our patients who are like get an in body cuz we can see what actually is going on. So, yes. um, so yeah, absolutely. And, and so Dr. Turner did mention that she does uh, testosterone injections with some of her females, which I thought was, that was the first I'd ever heard about it was like two months ago when we were just in Sonoma. And so, uh, yeah, so that is definitely something that I just started incorporating with a couple of my patients. And uh, so far it's been pretty positive feedback. So it's mm -hmm. good. It's really good. Yeah. You um, can do really low dosing. You can give them 
you know, and they respond with a good muscle mass response and typically a really good body fat percent loss. So often you'll see, and again, this is with exercise, with, you know, right. monitoring, you're not going to just, here's your testosterone, see you in a year. But um, most of them will make a, some, some big gains. I agree with you. A lot of times you'll see them gain uh, weight, but I think it's really, a, it, at first you'll see sort of a plateau mm -hmm. and then you see them gain a little bit. It's typically around five pounds, mm -hmm. but they're gaining gaining muscle mass most of the time. So Absolutely. that's what yeah. we want to, we want to maintain. Yep, for sure. So uh, now that we've kind of covered like the pathophys of all that stuff, which is excellent. Um, let's talk about you a little bit in how you, you kind of said you were a little bit of a, a cardio, a cardio bunny before, and, and then you kind of like changed it up. And then per our like Sunday evening, me doing laundry conversation with you, you're like, well, this is, this is what I really noticed. So can you kind of talk a little bit about how you transitioned from cardio into strength? And, and now I believe you kind of focus mostly on strength. I do. And, and salsa. So, salsa, right? You still drink the salsa. Chip, you're, you're <laughs> exactly. okay. And I think, um, I think because my salsa dancing is, uh, we do it for about two, three hours a week. Yeah. And so for that, I think because that salsa dancing is kind of a low, uh, I'm, I'm not getting my heart rate up very high. I am sweating a decent amount, mm -hmm. but I'm not getting my heart rate up very high. And so I think I'm staying under that 70%, right around that 70%. And I think I'm staying in the fat burning zone. Oh, so sure. I'm really able to um, maintain that fat burn. And um, I think that's really been helpful. So that's really the cardio I get. I walk with my dog on Saturdays for about three miles. But there's some, some really interesting research in the last couple of years that shows that really what I have done because my body demanded it of me is what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. That younger, we should be doing a lot more cardio and older, we should be doing a lot more weight training. Um, you know, because we naturally become sarcopenic as we age. And so maintaining that muscle mass, those muscle cells send signals out to the rest of the body saying, everything's fine. This is a young, healthy person. Everything's fine. Um, and it helps with repair, helps with recovery, helps with all the things that you need. So we know that if, if you have a good, a decent muscle mass, you're able to stave off aging longer. So that's what we want to do. What, what do, do you that. always say? Uh, muscle is the currency of currency aging. Of aging. That's mm -hmm. right. That was a, that was an Insta post like a week ago. It was good stuff. Yeah. My friend Carl says, uh, go to the gym and make a deposit today. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yep. So, um, so how, I, kind of walk me through how your training is then now. Right. So I switched over from doing that high intensity interval training because I think what was happening was I was really raising my cortisol. So we have to realize that any exercise is going to raise cortisol to some degree. But I was working out three or four days a week at 4.30 in the morning. And I think it was just over kicking my cortisol level. Mm -hmm. So I was starting my day with this super high cortisol. I have a fairly stressful job because I run this practice and see a lot of patients all day and teach and all that. And so, and plus I'm trying to stay on, uh, on top of all the research and mm -hmm. stay ahead of all these people. And so uh, making sure I can take care of patients. So I think it was just more than my body could handle. And I felt, I think what I was doing was decreasing my muscle mass and starting to uh, retain. Because if you think about it, this is what I talk to patients about. If I'm telling my body that I'm being chased by a bear, then of course it's going to store up energy. It's doing what I'm telling it to do. It's saying, hey, store up energy so that you can either fight or run from that bear. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of doing what I was telling it to do. 
So by switching up my activity level or my activity, what I was doing really, really, I think has helped. So now what I do is I go to a local barbell gym and I do powerlifting. And primarily what I do is um, heavy weights, low repetitions, maybe I always stay under 15. Most of the time I'm under 12. Six is my sweet spot for almost everything. So when I say I'm doing six repetitions, I'm really raising that that weight level so that I'm feeling it at repetition number six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm working on my form and I'm focusing on doing that. And then I take some breaks in between. Whereas before I was taking maybe 15 second rest, I might take a 30 minute, um, 30 second to an, uh, um, a minute rest in between sets now. Uh, sit physically sit my high knee down on the mm-hmm. table and rest right. till I catch my breath. And then about, um, it takes a short period of time for you to regain your glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. And so all I'm trying to do is regain glycogen stores in order to do another set. And then I rest, regain my glycogen stores and do another set. Mm-hmm. Now it takes about 48 hours for you to completely replace your glycogen stores but you can in whatever muscle group that you were working, but you can replace a part of them or a percentage of them in a very quick, short period of time with a little bit of rest. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I've started doing is um, I'm doing supersets. So I'll work a chest and I'll do, you know, three or four different exercises that work the same mm-hmm. area, but in a slightly different manner. And then I'll move on to another uh, group of muscles and we'll do that until I've exhausted that group of muscles, mm-hmm. but with rest in between sets. Right. So I remember when I used to work out, I used to laugh at the guys in the gym, in the weight room, Cause I'd see them sitting around, you know, playing on their phone, picking uh-huh. their fingernails. <laughs> and I was like, what are you guys doing? You're not working out. Yeah. And now I see that they are. And it was, there was a science behind what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe not those guys, but yeah. anyway, Maybe there is a that science. One, but I'm sure there was probably some. So, <laughs> exactly. so with that, like how many days a week do you try to hit like those big muscle groups? So like, do you, I mean, do you squat a certain number of days a week? Like, is there I try like to a- do- yeah, I do three days a week and I try to do, um, I do um, squat and chest on one day. I do deadlift and back on another day. Perfect. And then I do a smattering of all of those on the third day. So l- lots of push pull, right? Lots of push pull mm-hmm. and recruiting those big muscle groups. Cause that's, uh, that's a lot of where those androgen receptors are coming from. So, uh, yes. I, so three days of strength, a day of salsa, or three, two hours, three hours. It's uh, three hours of salsa. Mm-hmm. And then your walk with your dog for three miles. Yep. And then mm-hmm. is there a certain number of steps that you try to get in a day? I don't. That's probably where I was I'm like, really... are you like Dr. Yurth and, uh, and um, oh, what is her name? They try to get their steps in like all the, all the time. All the time. Erica. Erica. Dr. Yes. Schwartz. Yeah. Dr. Schwartz. 10,000 steppers a day. I'm like, it's hard. Trying to get 10,000 steps is. a day is very hard, especially when you're like just going from room to room. It's it, you're really not walking far. Uh, yeah, it is hard. It is hard. So, okay. I just want to make sure people understood that it's not like you're in the, and if you've never seen Dr. Turner, I'll post a picture of her. She's lean. Okay. She's jacked. She is super, super jacked, super lean. And I was like, what, whatever you're doing is like amazing. So I will post a picture so people can kind of see what you're talking about, but, but you're not spending, I mean, so how long is like a lifting session then for you? An hour. An hour. Okay. So you're not in yeah. there two and three hours. You're, you're lifting basically three, four days a week kind of thing. 
for an hour. Yeah, I lift, I lift three days a week and then I, um, I salsa three, three hours a week. Perfect. So, and she's, she's felt, man, she's super, but okay. So which brings me on to my next topic. So we talked about your training. How do you recover now? Like, what is like, are there like certain like rituals you have in your recovery? Like, how do you recover? So I try to pause after my, after my workout, because I'm trying to continue to tell my system that it's in, um, I'm not trying to build too much muscle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to continue to tell my body, Hey, I'm in, um, recovery. I'm still in a need basis. So I'm trying to calm everything down. So it doesn't, um, it it doesn't flip over into that mTOR muscle building category Mm -hmm. right away. So I pause after my workout for about probably 45 minutes to an hour. So I'm pushing that window just a little bit more. And then I replace replenish with, um, protein. Okay. Protein carb, usually some uh, ketones too. Perfect. And then, um, so from a nutrition perspective, like, do you do you still fast? Like, if you're working out that early in the morning. So I, I work out in the afternoons. Now. Oh, okay, okay. And then, um, do you like? Is there certain like um, grams of protein you try to get uh, per day, or do you just try to go off feel, or like, is there anything so- that you track in that regard? That's one of the better things about the using a BIA, the um, like the in body that you guys use, mm-hmm. is that you can tell what your lean body mass is, mm-hmm. and that's approximately how many grams of protein you need to take in a day. Right. And so that's what I use is one to one and a half um, grams of protein per pound of lean body mass mm-hmm. or per kilo of lean body mass. Mm-hmm. And so I will increase that up to uh, up to there. So I'm probably at. 70, 80 um, grams of protein a day, which is pretty easy for me to meet. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'm doing, um, uh, I I try to stay pretty low in in carbohydrates. Of course, my exercise does require that I do some carbohydrates. And so I do, I love, and my microbiome needs my carbohydrates. Yeah. So I do a lot of things. Yeah. So I use, um, I use Moringa. My favorite is that Coco Ringa, that hot chocolate. If you're familiar with it, it's yes. delicious. It's really good. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. A little um, bit of protein and some from fiber. Um, so, so with that, do you try to keep your carbs under a certain minimum per day, or do you just really try to focus your carbs post-workout? That's what, that's what I usually, I try to, I try to have patients. If you're like goal is to like lean out and things, I try to get their carbs right after they work out. Cause that's when their bodies get right. They're going to be more, the most efficient in, in using them. Absolutely. And a good workout before your Thanksgiving dinner is optimal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we, um, I'm not as good about, I, ha- I still have a sweet tooth. And so I'm not as good about avoiding uh, simple carbs like I should be. Mm-hmm. So just confessions, true yeah. life confessions. Yeah. Oh no, for <laughs> sure. But have you ever had keto bark before? Keto bark? No. Is it good? Oh, it's amazing. It's like uh, it's made with cacao, so there's actually a good amount of fiber in there, and it's got like one net carb in there, and it's like keto friendly, so it's lower carb. It is amazing. It is so so good. Like even my kids love it. Like you know, I'll say like they're like, can I have some? You know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, you can have this or this. They'll take the keto bark over like normal food. Um, and what great. I like about it is though, it's got like seven grams of fiber in there. And so I'm like, oh, that's because awesome. of the cacao. So uh, no, it's good stuff. But when I found my cocoa moringa, that's where I found the keto bar too. It's like, you may also like this. And I'm like, okay, well, let's try it. It's delicious. Uh, so yes. that's helpful. Now, 
we're, I know we'll be closing up here, but I just want to kind of go over just some of your favorite, and we've talked about this before, your favorite biohacking tool. So I know Esther's is like, like we talked about in Sonoma, I'm like, Suzanne, how do you get over the taste? You're like, you just do it. You just toss it back and do it. And like the worse the taste, the better it is. I'm like, oh my God. Uh, So, so talk about the ketone esters and how you use them, your nasal spray, oxytocin. And uh, if there's anything else that, that I didn't uh, mention. I love that oxytocin um, nasal spray. There's so much great benefit. You know, as far as uh, as far as your uh, physical body, of course, that's something you have to get from your physician. Mm-hmm. But um, I've had some pretty good response in my patients using it for weight loss because that weight loss dose is higher. You have to use it more frequently. Mm-hmm. Or if you're using it post workout for uh, muscle building, and so epicatechin plus oxytocin is kind of my magic combo for post-workout uh, muscle building. And then I also love that beta alanine SRT mm-hmm. um, for preventing those, um, the DOMS, the delayed mm-hmm. onset muscle soreness. Right. I think that works really well to keep you from having that sort of, oh, I can't work out today. I feel so sore. It really helps for that. And then uh, I think you also do butyrate, don't you? Isn't butyrate something? Or yes. we talked so- about butyrate. So if you want to, instead of using the ketones, if you absolutely ha- can't stand them, um, you can use, there's um, some great research on tributrin, T-R-I-B-U-T-Y-R-N, which is an, an ester backbone with three of the butyrate um, attached to it. And it's got some really good, there was just an article that came out yesterday on using oh, nice. tributrin and uh, muscle recovery. So yeah. a really great article. I'll shoot that over to you after this. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, can um, we actually carry that one here uh, in the office? Because we do so much with yeah. testing. We actually carry that. I think it's a great option. And, and I think if the, the expense or the taste of the K, KE4 is not really helpful for the ketones, isn't really amenable to you, then I think it's a great option. And especially if you're not treating, you know, if you're treating something like long COVID or if you're treating something like um, SIRS, you really want to use a big power bank, bank uh, like the KE4. But if you're just treating um, day-to-day, trying to repair the gut, trying to do all those, I think that you're getting some good benefit from dry, tributrin for sure. Um, and that's a great, um, great recovery because what you're doing is uh, you, using it post-workout with your carbohydrates, you're helping your cells to recover. You're increasing the amount of antioxidant so that they can recover from that workout that you just had. So you want there to be a little bit of, of oxidation for a while to challenge the cells. And then you want to have an antioxidant on board to stop that um, challenge. And so that's why we, we use the ketones or the tributrin post-workout. Post, uh, I right. love the oxytocin. It's got so much great benefit. And then um, the epicatechin as well. And I get articles every single day about the benefits of epicatechin. Love that stuff. And is that, that one's a peptide, isn't it? No, it's, um, epicatechin is the, is from green tea. It's a green tea extract. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, I'm trying to think, I think that was pretty much it on the, like the ones we've talked about in the past. So, uh, so kind of was sharing is that, uh, I talked to Dr. Turner about a month ago and we talked to, I, you know, I kind of just said, you know, I don't, I don't really need to lose weight, but I wanted to drop body fat percentages. And so one of the things that, you know, I kind of uh, changed some of the peptides that I was doing to help with that. And so one of the ones that I changed combo was I, instead of doing, and I don't know if you, you kind of seen or heard this too, um, it might've been on a podcast that I had heard it from is, is, you know, CJC is great, right? CJC is awesome. But to really get the benefits of it, you kind of have to dose it frequently throughout the day, right? To really yes. see the body composition. And kind of the way I heard someone explain it is, is that like Tessa Morlin, 
Um, it's kind of like the, a little bit more of a potent uh, peptide for body composition. It's nice as that because that, that one-time dosing kind of equates to what you would be doing like four times a day of CJC. And that's kind exactly. of how I heard it explained to me. So I was like, okay. So then when I talked to you about it, you're like, testamorelin would be a good option. So I did testamorelin with a little bit of semaglutide, but my semaglutide, I'm like a wuss. I get nauseous so easily. So I've only been on like 15 units of semaglutide, which is like nothing compared to what most people Perfect. Um, I try to do the melanotan. I can't go above five units because I get nauseous. And then I started doing the once a week, uh, serolimus. I started doing that on Sundays to kind of cl- clean up the system. And then there was one more that you had mentioned that I'd started doing. What was it? Oh, the oxytocin, the nasal spray oxytocin. So I been doing that for four weeks and I've dropped, um, 3.6% body fat. I stopped doing yeah. any cardio. I don't do any cardio at all. Like I try to get my steps in, but I don't salsa dance. You know, I chase around my kids. So that's good. And then, uh, I hit all the muscles groups you were talking about. So I lift four days a week and I do two on one off two on, and then two off and just kind of ever, everything kind of you said. I, so I try to hit somewhere around 90 to hundred grams of protein a day. And luckily I, you know, I have in bodies, but in that time, inflammation's gone down. A1C has gone down in just four weeks. Uh, body fat's gone down. Lean muscle mass has gone up. It's crazy. It's super crazy how quick you can see things. So, you know, I kind of laugh and maybe you get this too, but I'll get patients who are like, I'm doing these peptides and I'm not losing any weight. So then I ask them like, are you lifting weights? Are you tracking your food? Are you recovering? All those things. Or they'll say, I got these pellets and I'm not losing any weight. And I'm like, you have to do all the other outside things. It's not just that that's going to, uh, you know, make or break you, you have to do the lifestyle stuff. Right. And so that's kind of why, you know, I wanted uh, Dr. Turner to get on here is because I really wanted her to kind of show this is how she recovers. This is how she trains. This is how, you know, what her protein tries to look like. And um, I think it, I think it's helpful, especially for females, because, you know, you see this in practice, females get so uh, discouraged because it's hard. It's really, really difficult as you age and your hormones are just all over the place. And so I thought that this would be a really good podcast uh, for a lot of our female listeners, because it kind of shows, you know, that there are things that we can do to kind of help. And it's just, it's almost like hacking, hacking your hormone system is, is going to be the way to, to do it and to train smart, to eat smart and to recover smart. So, um, yeah, did I well, miss don't, don't forget about sleep, sleep. Re- yeah. So recovery. So as, recovery. As, yeah, exactly. Is there, is there a certain amount of hours that you try to get a day? Between seven and eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I usually try to shoot for eight. I, so when I get these mm-hmm. females and they tell me they sleep six hours, I'm like, Oh my God, that sounds terrible. That's like a nap. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, perfect. Well, did I, did I miss anything? Is there any other important keynotes that need to be mentioned? Do you think? No, I'm, I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate all your help and guidance and all of that stuff. So, well, thanks so much for doing it. And I'm going to go ahead and just end it right there. 